And good to see everyone here for worship. Yeah, we're in the gym. Like Bruce said, we just tell you why we're in the gym. If we stay on this side of that blue line, right behind the back row, then we save $130 an hour. So isn't that amazing? So we're saving $500 combined with some things. The reason is because it's Labor Day weekend, so we knew a lot of people would be gone out of town, so we figured let's do it different and we could save some money um, for the church budget. And so we're technically in half the gym, as long as we... So Wes, come on this side. There you go. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, thanks for pitching in. Be flexible with that today. We are in the this new message series called Enjoying Life Together. If you want, or just take a look up there. We're all very different. We, When it comes to relating to each other and enjoying relationships in a group, it's challenging because we're all very, very different. We bring different things to the table, good habits, and then some bad habits. You know, native tendencies that aren't all that helpful, and then some things that we're trying to overcome. But we bring it all in the mix, and we find that if we yield ourselves to what God would want in relationships and how we're to do life, then things can go good for us and we can actually enjoy relationships together. We can enjoy life together, specifically church life. We're talking in this message series about what does it take to really enjoy church life together. Um, it might be a grind for you right now in family life or work or these different arenas that you relate in, but specifically think in terms of, okay, how, how does it, what does it take for us to enjoy this experience, not just this Sunday morning experience, but relationships as it relates to the church. So this series is focused on what are the values that we're committing to? What are the values that we band around that create the possibility for healthy relationships? God in the Bible, he shows us the best way to relate. And so we saw last week, we talked briefly about how our native tendency in relationships is to be selfish, is to push ourselves forward to push our goals and interests forward. And because of that, relationships are disrupted. You know, you, there's not a lot of harmony and unity when everyone's being selfish. If all of us, if a core value of our church were selfishness and faking it, then we'd be a mess. You know, we, we would run over each other. We wouldn't know who each other really are because everyone's putting on a front and a mask. And so we're really talking in this series about how do we overcome some of the native tendencies that you know, we approach life with. Last week we talked about the value of, or the, the core value that we have called the heart attitude number one, which is put the goals and interests of others above my own. And that's motivated by the love of Christ. We can learn how to love other people and get past our native selfishness by looking to the example of Jesus and just what he did. We look at his example and his love motivates us to love other people. It, it motivates me to get past just my native selfishness, and to look at what other people need and then to try to step in and meet those needs. I can't meet everyone's needs. You can't meet everyone's needs. But in an effort to really work together as a church, what it is is we commit to um, try to just get outside our own unit, whether it's a family unit or just individual, and to look around and to relate in, in these ways. So put the goals of others above your own. That's the first one. Today we're looking at the second one, which is, you can flip to the back and just look ahead. The hard attitude we're looking at is live an honest, open life before others. That's where we're heading. We're going to really talk about why that's so important this morning. The reason it's so important is because, along with our native selfishness, we have another tendency which is more of an isolation tendency. It's protecting ourselves. 
We just wall others off and we don't really let anybody in. We wear a mask. We come to church and we present the person we want everyone to think we are. We're the nice guy. We're the happy guy. The happy lady. You know, we're the bubbly one. We're the smiling one. You know, I don't know who you present, but the big question is, is that really how you're feeling? Is that really how life is going for you? It's very easy to present someone on the exterior that's not really true to what's going on in the inside. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. One of the keys to great relationships is the ability to be yourself and to be accepted for who you are. And there's some things about myself that I don't like, but to be able to be myself and to be honest about where I am and who I really am, there's freedom in that. There's enjoyment in that, knowing that I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend. If you're, if you're not yourself, if you're being someone else, you're presenting someone else, then the relationships that you think you have are likely very shallow and phony. And over time, that's not very rewarding. And so the reason why this hard attitude, this core value of living an honest and open life before others is, is because we all need to, we need to know others. We also have this need to be known by others. And so we're going to show you this video clip to get us started. This is from a movie where there's a father and a son. father is clearly near the end of his life, and the son is frustrated that he doesn't really know who his dad is. Because his dad, in his mind, has been wearing a mask. And so let's take a look. You know about icebergs, Dad? Do I? I saw an iceberg once. They were hauling down to Texas for drinking water. They didn't count on there being an elephant frozen inside. The woolly kind, a mammoth. Dad. What? Am I trying to make a metaphor here? Well, you shouldn't have started with a question because people want to answer questions. You should have started with the thing about icebergs is. Okay, okay, okay. The thing about icebergs is you only see 10%. The other 90% is below the water where you can't see it. That's uh, what it is with you, Dad. I'm only seeing this little bit that sticks above the water. Oh, you're only seeing down to my nose, my chin, my... Dad, I I have no idea who you are. Because you've never told me a single fact. I've told you a thousand facts. Well, it's what I do. I tell stories. You tell lies, Dad. You tell amusing lies. Stories are what you tell a five-year-old at bedtime. They're not elaborate mythologies that you maintain when your son is 10 and 15 and 20 and 30. And I believed you. I, I believed your story so much longer than I should have and. Then when I realized, of course, that everything that you said was impossible, everything, I felt like a fool to have trusted you. You're like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny combined, just as charming and just as fake. You think I'm fake? Only on the surface, Dad, but it's all I've ever seen. Look, I'm about to have a kid of my own, and it would kill me. If he went through his whole life never understanding me. It will kill you, huh? What do you want, Well, Who do you want me to be? Just yourself. Good, bad, everything. Just just show me who you are for once. 
I've been nothing but myself since the day I was born. And if you can't see that, it's your failing, not mine. So the tension that exists there is, is because of you know, a lack of honesty and openness. And trust has been broken down. At least from the son's perspective, he feels like he's not been getting a full picture of who his father really is. He compares it to the iceberg. You know, I see the tip, but there's so much more that I don't know about you that I want to know about you. And the, the same can be said in church to where, again, we present this, this exterior that is maybe slightly true or maybe it's not true at all. You know, but we present something and that's the big question. Is it accurate? For us to really enjoy life together as a church, we have to trust each other. And so one of the things that is required, if you, follow, if you want to follow along in the listening guide, this is near the top. Love is what creates the atmosphere that we need to get real. If we're going to be honest with each other and really know each other, then love is what, is, it's, it's, it's what creates the possibility for an open and honest church. It's a church that's loving. Paul, in, in the first century, he's writing to a church in ancient Greek city called um, Ephesus. It's modern-day Turkey for us, where this Christian church sprung up, and this people in this church adopted a faith in Jesus Christ, and they banded together to spread the message of Jesus throughout their city and then to their region. And so they're working together, and the mission that they had was to spread the message of Jesus. That's the same mission that we have. Our mission as a church is to, to make Christ known. Our, our, our mission statement is, it's this, it's to know, love, and glorify God and to be used by Him to help all people to know Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Him. And that, that for them, was what they were trying to do as well. You know, they were trying to make Christ known, to make fully devoted followers. And in order for us to do that, we have to work together. In order for us to work together, there must be unity in the body. There must be this, we're aligned together. And love is what creates the possibility for us to be real with each other, to be able to stay unified. Love is, that, is, the, is the condition that is required for us to make any progress as a church. Love. It's true for us today. It was true for them. And the church here in Ephesus, he, Paul starts talking about this idea of truth in love. In the midst of a, of a passage where he's talking about unity in the church, the, the point of the body is to accomplish things together as we're unified. And when we're unified, here's what Paul says happens. Verse 14, he says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So he's saying the church is wired to help people actually grow up and become wise. If we're working together, if we're in unity, then we're, we have the possibility to grow past our immaturities. We can actually grow to be mature. And then here's what he says should occur in, in church life. Verse 15. This isn't just a Sunday morning thing, but this is the way that we're to approach our lives together. Look at what verse 15 says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head. That is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up 
in love as each part does its work. In the New Testament, the body is the is the image that we're you know the image of the church is used over and over, the body of Christ. And so love is is the circulatory system that gets the nourishment to the different parts of the body. Love creates the atmosphere for us to be real with each other. Different parts of the body actually need to tell each other the truth for the body to function properly. This is true of a physical body. It's certainly too true of a church body. Truth is crucial to having healthy relationships. So you're going to see these two things go together. Love and truth. They're very important. Love is what's needed, but the atmosphere is truth. Otherwise, if you have truth but no love, you, if, if I've got a sour, crabby attitude, and I'm just harsh with people, um, that's not an atmosphere where people open up. In, in fact, it's an atmosphere where people clam up. If I'm just truthful, truthful, truthful with people, I'm not loving towards them. That's very harsh. It can be very hurtful. One commentator said about this passage, he said, Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. So there's this, you know, I can't just be a really truthful person, but be a jerk about it. Because it's just harsh. It's brutal. And on the other hand, I can't just be loving and, you know, serving, serving, loving, meeting needs, meeting needs, but then when I need to say truth, eh, I don't do that. I just do love. I just meet needs. I, I put their goals ahead of my own, but I don't ever say the truth about what needs to be said. We, we actually need the truth. Truth is our friend. Just like in the same way that the facts help a doctor make the proper diagnosis, we need the truth in the same way. We need the truth about ourselves. We need to let others know who we really are. There's some damages. If we avoid the truth or run away from this, then here's the damages that we set ourselves up for. First, isolation and deception is one damage from just deceiving others. Isolation and deception. Proverbs 18.1 says, An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends. He defies all sound judgment. Same verse, more literal translation. It just says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It's just, it's not a smart thing to do. It's not smart for you to remain isolated. For you to wall others off. Healthy, up-close relationships are what is needed to really change, to really grow in life. You've ever taken an online course before? You can learn some things in an online course, right? You might be able to learn things a lot faster in an online course because you can go at your own pace. But the Christian life is not a place where you can really grow through just online courses. Um, you can learn some things online about the Christian life, but to isolate yourself from relationships, you need healthy relationships. You need people speaking into your life where there's an atmosphere of love, where truth can, can be delivered. That, that's so important. Online church, you know, that's, that's good for gaining insight. It's good for gaining, you know, you can get some things online that you have access to. But it doesn't help you as far as really making progress and change in life. You need people. There's some more damage from deception. Secondly, if you isolate, if you, if you deceive others, if you don't present who you really are, then people can't help you. People can't really, they don't know how to help you. Ephesians 4.25, this is the same passage that Paul was using. He says, then, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members 
of one body. See, we're to work together. We're the body that works together. And if, if we're going to be unified, then we have to put off, he says, put off falsehood, which that word just means lies. Put off lies. And the, the, the idea of falsehood really can involve exaggeration, half-truths, cover-ups, wearing a mask, white lies. Truths, or truth is when facts, you know, they actually meet reality. So, if people don't know the true you, then again, you might be drowning in some things and nobody knows how to help because you've not presented the real struggles, the real persons, the real person. It's kind of like you're leaving some pieces out of the puzzle. If you've ever built a puzzle in pieces and you're like, ooh, I, I, you know, I can see what it's going to be, or you see someone working on a puzzle, you're like, oh, I think that's going to be this, but... It's like you're trying to help someone, but you don't see. They've left some pieces of the puzzle out, so you can't quite tell exactly what this is. That's what it looks like in church life. If you deceive others, or if you're not being honest about who you really are, they're not getting a clear picture. And then again, you're not being helped because of that. You're in the danger zone. A third kind of damage is that there's guilt that brings inner turmoil. Because we're all prone to wander off in life, we're prone to just rebel, we're prone to, to step in some of our native selfishness and head the wrong direction, make poor choices, head into sin, then our sin can lead us towards a place of real loneliness if we cut others out again. And then there's this guilt that brings inner turmoil. Look at what David said. King David, he's he'd done some horrible things. You could read about it in First Samuel 11. But he says this. This is before describing how he was feeling before he really opened up with God. God honest. Psalm 32, 3. When I kept silent, David said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon, my, heavy upon me. My strength was as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged... So he, he's describing this place of, of inner turmoil. His energy is sapped. He just feels this guilt, this heavy weight. And then he says, then I acknowledged. He confessed. Then I acknowledge my sin to you and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. But in the, ins- in the inside, he was just rotting. When I was a teenager, my dad, we would paint our house trim. Every few years, my dad loved to paint house trim. And uh, one of the years, the, the trim had, had rotted out. And so we got up to cut off this damaged piece of fascia board and you'd cut it off you'd cut it and the thing would just crumble and fall and just like it would it just had this shell of an exterior but termites had eaten the inside and that's like what happens in our lives when we're when we're struggling with things that we're not really willing to be honest about when we're not being open and honest then it's like the insides are beaten eaten away at there's this guilt and inside we're just not doing well and the guilt over time leads to shame, which puts us in a worse place. Well, whenever we do wrong, guilt says, I did wrong. You know, and we feel this, I did wrong, I did wrong, I'm I'm I am but then it over time it moves to shame, which is I am wrong. So it shifts. And if we don't drag the struggles that we face, the sin that's in our lives, if we don't bring that stuff into the light, it just eats away at us slowly. Here's another thing. One final type of damage is you miss out on true acceptance when you 
when you hide, when you wear a mask, when you don't really present who you really are to others. Romans 15:7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. If you're, not, if you're not honest, if you're not real with others, then the people in your life are not accepting you. They're accepting a plastic version of you, a fake version of you. So, again, just refuse, refuse to present someone that's not really you. If you're trying to protect yourself, which, again, that's a native tendency that we have. And if you're trying to spin an image of who you want people to think you are, you don't have to do that. God accepts you for who you are. And so others, you know, we can accept one another because He has accepted us. That's what this verse is saying in Romans 15, 7. So, but deception is something that it just it sabotages a healthy group. A healthy church can be sabotaged if we decide to let deception and wearing masks be the norm. So we make a commitment against doing that to move in a different direction. So look at how we can avoid this damage. First, put away falsehood. Just refuse falsehood. Colossians 3, 9, and 10, Paul says to a different church, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your former, uh, I'm sorry, taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul says, he's using the same phrase, don't lie, which is in Ephesians, he says, put away falsehood, you know, don't do falsehood, do not lie. In this, it's the same Greek verb, but it's more forceful. He's like, do not lie to each other. He's talking to the church about the way we relate. Do not lie to each other. So take pains to make sure that your thoughts, your emotions, and that your words really match reality. And this is tough because it's so easy for us just to slip back into putting the mask on, presenting something smiley and happy and cheery and bubbly and, and whatever. But be completely honest in conversations. You have to use discretion. Being open and honest in a church setting doesn't mean that you air your dirty laundry to everyone. We don't want to know. <laughs> we don't want to know it. We don't want to know everything about you know, your dirty laundry. You don't want to know all my dirty laundry. But what this means is I make a commitment to allow others to get close to me. I get close to certain I get close to people in church so that I can really be known. It doesn't mean you're going to be known by everyone, but there's a few people, there's a handful of people. Maybe it's your small group, maybe it's just a growing group of people that you're meeting like you go to this group, you really connect with this one person. And then that group's over and you join another group and but this person you still stay in touch with, you're being open and honest with them. You meet someone new over here and you you know, over time, you're really just making it a pattern to be known, to be open and honest with others. But put away falsehood in that relationship. Just refuse to lie. Don't deceive in the way you approach things. And start the habit at work. Start the habit in your business practices. Just refuse to, to shave on truth when it comes to time cards, taxes, whatever it is. Refuse to shave on the truth in, in those different areas. When you promise something, do it. When you hear a rumor, aim to get the facts about it. Put away all falsehood. Don't leave out little bits of information to make yourself look good. Don't exaggerate about things. Instead, when you do, clean it up. Now, I have a problem with exaggeration. And, like, my wife is, like, I shouldn't put her on the spot, so I won't put you on the spot. Let's just say others, you know, might call me on it and uh, (laughs) apologize. But 
you know, like, I'll exaggerate, and then it's like, that's not completely true. Clean it up. Oftentimes when we, when we get into falsehood, we don't want to clean it up because we want to look good. Again, it's, it's providing a mask or an impression of the person we'd like everyone to think we really are. If you catch yourself in falsehood, throw off that habit, which is a very native habit, to lie, to cover ourselves up, to look good. It's very easy to do. Just throw it off. Much like if you stain a shirt and you're on a date, you know, a really nice white shirt, getting into your meal, say it's spaghetti, meatball rolls down your shirt. You're like, oh, man. You look across at your date. You look at, go to the restroom. You're trying to get, get it off. You come out and just like pink everywhere. And you're just like, oh, this isn't going well. I need to go home. I need to go home. I'm going to change. That's the only thing you can really do. With falsehood, you have to take it off. This is what the Scripture is saying. Colossians. You need to put off the falsehood. You, you just put off the old practices you put on truth. You have, to, you have to throw out the old, put on the new. Next, love the truth. Love the truth and tighten up on it daily. Proverbs twenty three twenty three. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Make it a priority to seek out truth and to speak the truth. We find the truth in the Scripture. If we never really go to the Scripture, then what happens is we get trapped in our own ideas, in our own feelings, in our own emotions. So it's so important to go to the truth of God's Word. No one can really seek out God's truth for you. You know, No one can do all the work for you. This time on Sundays, we've said it before, it, it's a supplement. It needs to be a supplement to you seeking out the truth of God on your own. This can't be your one-stop fill-up gas station to where you're like, all right, I got it. Oh, I feel good for a while. I'm, you know, I'm running on empty. You're dragging in next Sunday in the door. Oh, I barely made it. Whoop, I'm good again. It really is intended to be that you're getting truth. You're, you love the truth. When you love something, man, you you protect it. You desire it. So we encourage you to get into the Word of God for yourself. And then, as Paul states, keep tightening up on the truth. Ephesians 6.14 Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Deception is a tool that we readily use. Or it can be used against us. It has destructive power, but truth is a tool that God can use to accomplish His work. So just keep tightening up on the truth. Go to God's Word. Keep tightening up on the truth. Go to the Word of God. Think in terms of what is true here. Did I say the truth? Am I, you know, is this truthful? <clears throat> is this relationship a relationship of truth? Just keep tightening up on the truth. And then finally, live in the light. John says in 1 John 1, This is the message we've heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. This is where God lives. He is in the light, not in the darkness. And then he says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, with God, yet we walk in the darkness, like we... We, we do things in the dark. We keep our lives in the dark. He says, then we lie. And we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What I love about this is He says, when we walk in the light, not only does it restore fellowship with God, but we can have real fellowship with one another. It's in the light. Close True fellowship can't exist in the darkness. It can't exist when we're deceiving each other. When I'm presenting someone that's not accurate about who I want you to think I am, I can't have real close fellowship with you. 
real relationship with you. Friendship with God and others grows in the light. So if you're feeling somewhat disconnected, if you're feeling somewhat like you're not accepted, you know, come into the light. Bring your life into the light. Get connected to others. Begin to stick around. Arrive a little early. Stay a little late. Join a group. Be known. Allow others to really get to know who you are. Volunteer. Pitch in and, and, and serve with, with, with us. Get to know some people as you're going through the process. What we've really been talking about is this heart attitude, number two. Live an honest and open life before others. This is the second core value of our church. We've been doing this series because we want to just introduce you or reintroduce you to our core values as a church. These are seven things we're going to look at that talk about how God wants us to relate to each other and to the church as a whole. We commit to these things because God has told us to do them. These are commands from the Scripture to those who follow Him. And also, they make, they make for good relationships over the long haul. You can put this into practice in your home, on the job. These make for good relationships. So the ushers, in just a few moments, are going to be receiving our offering. Our band's going to come forward and I'd like to invite them to come up. If you want to take out this white connection card, we're going to take a look at these next steps that you see on the back. There might be some things that you just that you sense God would want you to do as far as action steps in response to this morning's message. And so here's, a, here's four to take a look at. You might memorize Ephesians 4, verse 25. It's a commitment we make to each other. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. The idea here is we're connected. We're members of the same body. We can't operate apart from the truth. Second, turn to God and confess any deception to Him. Maybe there's some stuff that you're hiding that you feel like, I need to drag some things into the light before God, maybe before others. The next one is before others. Talk to someone you trust about a problem you've been hiding. A lot of times, freedom can't be found. And we just find ourselves stuck with the guilt and the inner turmoil that David was describing when his sin was just eating away at him. There might be some things that you need to confess to the Lord, to others. Or last, join a small group. This is probably one of the best ways to move towards applying this heart attitude is to just band for a season with others and just say, hey, I want to participate in a, in, a, in a small group. Just so you know, um, in, the, in the growth groups, if you're on the fence and you're like, I don't know what to expect, I don't know, am I going to have to just right off the bat get real about who I am and I'm, they're going to want to know everything about me and, you know, we have these images and there really is not that high-pressure environment where you're going to have to um, answer all, every question or where you have to know the answers to everything that's being asked. If you're, if you're new to church, if you're new to small groups, um, that's, that's okay. The leaders have that, have that in mind as they lead these groups. And so, but this is one of the ways you can really put this heart attitude into practice. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for how you first loved us. Lord, that does motivate us to, to love others. And then, in Christ, you accepted us into your family for who we are and for even you know for who we were before we knew you and just the things we struggled with. And Lord, that, that helps us, God, as we draw close to each other to know you've accepted us. We can accept others. Lord, I pray that you would for those here that are struggling and just hiding their lives, hiding 
struggles. For whatever reason, God, I pray that you would lead them out of the darkness and into the light. That they would allow their lives to be known. Lord, that each of us here would have some people in the church that, that we could say, I know them. They know me. I pray for them. They pray for me. I, I care for them. They care for me. Lord, that we wouldn't just be people who just are those who hear God's word alone, but that we'd be people who do the word of God. And so, Lord, help us to take this command very seriously, to have close fellowship with people. We love you, God, and thank you for what you say to us through the Bible. We pray you give us the courage to live this stuff out as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.